The Masechta has begun the process step by step of what one does with his wife who is a Sotosophic, which means that she has gone through Kinui and Stira. Kinui is when her husband warns her not to be alone with a particular man, and Stira is when she indeed goes and is alone with that man. And once she goes through Kinui and Stira, then her husband would take her up to the base Hamikdash. Now we're going to see later on that one of these steps in the process was that they would make the solution which the Sota needs to drink. It's water, but in that water they would place a piece of parchment with Hashem's name written on it, and it would dissolve in the water. Now in general it's forbidden to do such a thing, you're erasing the name of Hashem. But the Torah says that when it comes to making peace between a man and his wife, so even Hashem's name, he's sort of willing to have his name erased in the water for the sake of creating peace and harmony between them. But at the end of the day, it's a chilol Hashem. It's a desecration and a dishonor of Hashem. And because of that, we're going to see throughout the process, they would constantly try and get this woman to confess. To admit that she was guilty, because if she does so, then she wouldn't drink the water. And then they wouldn't need to dissolve Hashem's name in the water, and they would prevent this chil Hashem. So the Mishnah says, They would bring her up to the great basin, the Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim. The Sanhedrin was the main basin of the Jewish people, made up of 71 judges. And they sat and judged cases inside the Besamikdash. In one of the chambers in the Besamikdash, the Lishkas Hagozis, and when she arrived, they would sort of intimidate her in the same manner as they would intimidate people who give testimony that somebody is liable to a death penalty. Before the basin kill anybody for having violated a particular Avera, the Mishnah in Sanhedrin goes through many things which the basin would say to the witnesses in order to show them that it was so severe what they are doing. And then if they're telling the truth, then of course they're obligated to do so. But if they're not telling the truth, then they should know that it's a terrible thing, and they're causing the death of somebody. And the Mishnah in Sanhedrin speaks at length about how they would intimidate these witnesses to make sure that they understand the severity of what they're doing if they are lying. So in the same vein, we do the same thing over here. And we try to convince her to admit that she is guilty, so they don't need to come to this Chil Hashem by dissolving Hashem's name in the water. And they would say to her, Bitti, my daughter, they would try and convince her to confess by making it seem as if this thing happens quite often. Maybe she's very scared to admit that she committed adultery. So they say there are excuses for these things. Wine can cause a lot of things. Laughing, joking about can cause a lot of things. Childness can cause lots of things. Bad neighbors and friends can cause lots of things. And these things can happen because of a variety of different reasons. So they're sort of making it a bit easier for her to confess. And they tell her, Do confess for the sake of Hashem's great name, which is written in holiness, that it not be dissolved in the water. They say in front of her things which she doesn't deserve to hear. And the Gemara explains that we, the Beistin, would cite examples from Tanakh where we see that great people sinned and admitted to it. And they confessed. For example, Yehuda, when he had relations with Tomar, so he admitted and confessed. So really, she she doesn't deserve to be compared to these amazingly righteous and great people. But this is part of the process to convince her to confess. 
they would say all of these things in front of her and in front of all of her family because her family are also partly responsible for having raised a woman who possibly committed adultery. If she indeed said she confessed that she was impure and that she had had relations with this other man, she would write a receipt for her kasuba. The kasuba is a certain amount of money which a woman is promised when she gets married that if she is divorced, she'll receive that amount of money or if she is widowed. So she now needs to write a document saying that she has lost her right to the kasuba for having committed adultery. The yait says, and she is divorced. It's an obligation for her husband to divorce her. The Imran Matayani, but if she insists that she is pure and that she did not commit adultery, then the process continues. Malin They would bring her up to the eastern gate, which was at the entrance of Harabayas, the mountain on which the Beis HaMikdosh stood. Shal Pesach which is in line with the entrance of Sha'anikonar, which is huge gates at the entrance of the actual Beis HaMikdosh building. Or to be more precise, the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdosh. Now until now, she was already inside the Beis HaMikdosh with the Sanhedrin. But they would bring her outside of the Beis HaMikdosh, all the way to the entrance of Harabayas, and then they would go back up towards Sha'anikonar. And the reason why they would do this is in order to tire her out and to make, make her a bit more stressed, which would increase the likelihood of her confessing. Again, all in order to avoid the name of Hashem being dissolved in the water. And then she would arrive at the Shar Nikonar, which was the entrance of the Besamekdosh courtyard. And that is where they would give the Saito women to drink the water solution underneath that gate. And this is in, directly in line with the Kudush HaKadoshim, the most inner and holy part of the Beis HaMikdash. However, it does not have the same level of Kudush and sanctity as the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash has. This was at the entrance of the courtyard, and although certainly it was Kadosh, the entire Harabais has sanctity to it. But it was a lower level of sanctity, and therefore it was fitting that the Saito would be given that solution over there. As well as that, from a Taran Sayoldos, they would purify women who had given birth. A woman, when she gives birth, becomes Tomei, and then she goes through the whole purification process, she goes to the mikveh, and then she needs to bring a korban. Now, until she brings the korban, she's not considered to be fully pure, and therefore she can't enter into the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash, but on the other hand, she needs to be there when her korban is being offered up. So she would also stand under this gate, which has a lower level of sanctity, and therefore even though she is not fully pure, she is allowed to be there. And she is within sight of her carbon. And the same goes for a Mitzayrah, They would purify the Mitzayrahim. A Mitzayrah is a person who has Tzara'as, which is a certain type of spot on the skin, which would make one Tomei. And after being a Nozer, he needs to bring a carbon in the Beis HaMikdash. And again, that carbon is part of his purification process. So until he has bought it, he is not considered to be fully pure. And because of that, he does it also in the Sha'anikonar, which has not yet got the level of sanctity of the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash itself. So she's arrived here, and this is really where the rest of the action is going to take place. And a Koyen takes hold of her clothes by where her neck is, and he doesn't need to be careful not to tear the clothes. He should disgrace her. Nikru, nikru. If her clothes get torn, then they get torn. If they get unstitched, then nifrimu, they became unstitched. We are trying to disgrace her in order to convince her to confess. And we do this until he reveals her heart, her body, and he also unplats her hair. Even though a married woman must cover her hair, it's considered immodest 
for her hair to be uncovered. In this case, we uncover part of her body and her hair. And this is all part of the process of disgracing her. Firstly, for the fact that she went through Kinri and Stira and she was alone with this man. And even if she didn't have, actually have relations with her, she's already guilty for just being alone with this man after her husband warned her not to be. She's putting herself in a very suspicious situation. And as well as that, we're doing it in order to convince her to confess so that Hashem's name will not need to be dissolved in the water. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says that it's true that according to the strict letter of the law, this is what needs to be done. However, if the place of her heart, if the woman was pretty, then he wouldn't reveal her body. And if her hair was pretty, then he wouldn't unplait her hair. And this is because Rehuda is concerned that she might be found innocent. And then the other Kranim who saw her and saw her body and her hair, they might have a particularly strong desire for her if she ends up being innocent and continues living. If she was covered, if she was dressed with white clothes, then they would dress her in black clothes, which are less attractive. If she was wearing golden jewellery, this is some sort of very tight and wide necklace, which they would wear on their necks. Nuzomim, nose rings, or tabais, regular rings for the finger. So if she was wearing any of these, then ma'avirin memenor k'deila navlo. They would remove these from her in order to disgrace her, in order to make her look ugly. And after that, they would bring an Egyptian rope and they would tie it above her private area because now that her clothes were torn, it would be very easy for them to just slip down. So they would need to keep her clothes on her and they would do that with an Egyptian rope specifically in order to symbolize the fact that she has behaved like the Egyptians did. The Egyptians were known as the most immoral nation, and she has now acted like the Egyptians. Continues the Mishnah. Anybody who wanted to see this process being done with the Saita and how she is being disgraced, they are permitted to do so. Except for her male and female slaves, because when she is around her slaves, she gains more pride, and the entire purpose of shaming her and disgracing her in this way is in order to get her to confess. But if her slaves are there, then she's less likely to confess, and therefore they are not allowed to be there. Because her heart becomes proud by them, and she will be less likely to confess. All women who are in the area are permitted to come and see her, and the Gemara actually explains they are obligated. If there are women in the area, they need to come to the base of Mikdash and see this go on. Janemar, as the Pazuk says, and all the women will receive the message, the Musar, and they will not do, they will not behave like your immorality. The point is, if the women come to the base of Mikdash and see this disgrace, they will be put off acting in an immoral way like this Saita had done. Mishnah Zayin, an important concept in the Torah, is B'midosh Adamaydeid B'amaydeid Lai. In the measure that a person measures, meaning the way that a person behaves, that is how Hashem delivers the reward or punishment in the same measure as the person behaved. And this is more famously known as Midok Neged Midah. This mission is really the source for that concept of Midok Neged Midah. And the mission will start off by explaining how the punishments of a Saita are Midok Neged Midah. And then until the end of the parak, we'll go a bit sidetracked to other examples throughout Tanakh where we see this concept of Midok Neged Midah. 
So first thing regarding the Saita, he kissed us at one Avera. She decorated and put jewelry on herself for the sake of doing the Avera to make herself more attractive to the man who was not her husband. So therefore, Hamokem Nivla, Hashem disgraces her and makes her look ugly. And she has to go through all of what we've described in the last couple of Mishnahis where we take off all of her jewelry and we make her look disgraceful. As well as that, he gilts us at one Avera. She revealed herself and wasn't modest, and talked to men in public for the sake of the Avera, so Hashem now reveals things about her, and her sin is publicized, as was from the previous Mishnah, anybody can come and see her go through this ordeal, and that again is Midok Neged Midok. She began the act of adultery, the sin of adultery, the first part of her body which gained pleasure from that is her thigh, and then her stomach, when she has relations with that man, therefore the Torah, when talking about the punishment which she receives, it first says that her thigh will be stricken, and then her stomach. When it talks about her blowing up, so it says that your thigh will fall, and your stomach will bloat. And as well as that, the Mishnah adds, and the rest of the body also doesn't escape. The entire body ends up bloating and blowing up. Just like the entire body gained pleasure from having adultery and having relations with this other man. It's just that the Torah describes what happens first, what happened first in her act of sin.